Well, last weekend, I, I got a weekend off, which was deeply, deeply appreciated. And Pastor Jason got us off on a great start to the series, My Friend Josh. We've done three of these. We've done My Friend Pete. We've done My Friend Tim. And now we're doing My Friend Josh. Our goal in these series is to get to know these biblical characters in a way that we consider them to be friends. Because they really were regular human beings, just like you and I. I'm going to review some of the highlights that Jason gave us last week, and then we're going to dive in deeper. So let me remind you as we start that Joshua's name literally means the Lord is salvation. That's going to become very important this morning as we study this portion of Joshua's life. And then we're going to, we're going to keep this. So just tuck that little information in the back of your brain. Joshua had a name. He also had a task. It's the second blank in your outline that comes from Joshua 1. It says this, now then, You and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. God comes to Joshua and says, look, bottom line, here's the deal. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to take this group of rebellious punks who could have been in the promised land 40 years ago if they would have got with God's program. Your job is to take them into the land now because they're finally ready. I mean, that is a huge task. I mean, you think you've got a busy week coming up? Imagine being saddled with this at the beginning of your week. When you've got a God-sized project, you better have a God-sized promise. That's the next one. Let's look at Joshua's promise. Joshua 1.5 says this, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. God comes to Joshua. He goes, you're a leader. And I know something about leadership, Joshua. You're going to be lonely in these deep moments of leadership as you're going through this. And when you feel the most alone, like nobody understands a word that you're saying, understand this. God is there. Just know he's there. Joshua's got a name, a task, and a promise. And then he gets a pep talk. God calls him into the locker room and he calls him out. Here's Joshua's call. Scripture says this. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I mean, Joshua's ready. He's fired up. He's ready to take on this challenge. I know something about it as well. He's fired up and down in the bottom of his soul, he's terrified. He is freaking out. Moses couldn't get the people into the land. Joshua's like, now it's supposed to be my turn? Are you kidding me? He's terrified. Every leader of God that's ever been asked to do something huge has one of these moments when you look around and you say to yourself, this is nuts. What in the world are we doing? As Joshua sits in that chair, we go to the next chapter. Here it comes. The Bible goes on to say this, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Okay. I did not name the city. So stop giggling and do not send me a letter. It's in the Bible. Leave it alone. Okay. Scripture goes on and says, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they, being the spies, went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, does that not seem sketchy to anybody else in the room? 
I mean, seriously, right? I mean, that's a scandal. Two guys are on a mission from God and their first stop is a brothel. Are you kidding me? I mean, how did they explain that on the expense report? That's what I want to know, right? Two sets of binoculars, check. Two forged passports, check. One night in a brothel, no check, right? I mean, that's just wrong. He's got a, there's a scandal right here. I mean, Joshua's not even got one foot inside of the promised land and he's already got a scandal on his hands. This is distracting. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. He's got a full-blown scandal going on and he's not even out of the chute yet. Apparently, a couple of weeks ago, I started a bit of a scandal here at Christ the King. I was preaching about complete and total trust and I illustrated it by showing you complete and total trust in the stool underneath of me. And apparently at this point of the service, somebody, instead of looking at me, were looking at the bottom of my flip-flops and they started freaking out. They started freaking out because I have bottle openers in the bottom of my flip-flops. I was just like, why does the pastor need bottle openers on the bottom of his flip-flops? Which quickly became, does Pastor Grant have a drinking problem? Are you kidding me? Okay, so, just so you know, I have bottle openers on the bottom of my flip-flops. I've never actually opened a bottle with the bottle openers on the bottom of my flip-flops because anything to do with drinking in my feet, that's just gross, all right? That's just disgusting. I had been told by a staff member that wreath flip-flops were the most comfortable flip-flop in the world. He was wrong. He lied. I'm not going to give you his name, but his initials are Randy Borland. Okay, so. So I went and found Reef flip-flops and they offered three different kinds of bonuses, I guess. There were bottle openers, notepads and a pencil in the heel or a flask. Okay. I don't need a flask. I have pen and paper in my office. So I chose the bottle openers. All right. It's not a scandal. It's just shoes, okay? I did not have a scandal. Joshua had a scandal. He sends two spies into Jericho. They both bypass the Motel 6 and go to a prostitute's house, right? And in that moment, we meet a young lady by the name of Rahab. I was not planning on preaching about Rahab this week. In fact, I had a little argument with God about this on Monday afternoon because I told him, hey, look, My series is called My Friend Josh, Not a Prostitute Named Rahab. He told me to be quiet and trust him, so that's what we're going to do, okay? In the second chapter of Joshua, we find this interesting little chapter because it has almost nothing to do with Joshua at all. Instead, we meet this young lady named Rahab. Now, I want you to remember, God has named his leader Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. He's instructed him to go into the promised land And then it's almost like he stops them and says, hey, Joshua, just time out for a second. Before you get to do what it is that I've called you to do, I want to show you what I do best. I'm going to save somebody so that you always remember this is all about saving people. I'm going to do what I do best. I'm going to reach into somebody's life and I'm going to pick the most unlikely character that you can think of. You haven't even met her. Her name's Rahab and she's got an interesting story. So let's talk about Rahab just for a moment. Rahab had some unbelievable challenges in her life. I listed what I believe are some of the challenges that she faced because I think we can really relate to them. Her first challenge was her nationality. 
Canaanites were hated by virtually every culture and nation that surrounded that group of people. They were seen as evil and sick, depraved, sexually deviant and dirty. I mean, you walked into a room and said, I'm a Canaanite. You didn't win any points with anybody. Her nationality was a challenge. Secondly, her gender was a challenge. In this culture and time period, being a woman was, was not a good thing. Women were seen as property. They could be bought and they could be sold. They were looked on as second-class citizens. You know, our country has come an awful long way with regards to this, with this issue. I still think we've got a long way to go. But in this particular time, being a woman, was that, that was a strike against Rahab. Thirdly, the third challenge was her profession. Women who worked as prostitutes in this time could have carried a sign that says, I ran out of options. I had no other choice but to do this. My wife Laurel and I used to work on the streets of Winnipeg with a ministry called Love Lives Here that, that reached out to the girls who worked on the street corners in the inner city core of the capital city of Manitoba. I remember so many of their names and their faces. I remember how broken they were, how lost they were, how, how desperately they just wanted somebody to love and cherish them. Rahab was... One of those girls. She used her body to earn a living. And with that came the marginalization of people who believed that because of her professional choice that she was trash. Just for the record, God never thought that. He never did. Fourthly, we find another challenge. She's got a challenge in her location. I mean, I want you to remember this. Rahab's in the middle of Jericho. Jericho is on God's hit list. I mean, the people of Jericho have heard that God's people are coming and they're a little freaked out. They'd heard the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that was not a good thing. Sodom and Gomorrah ended up, you know, barbecue. That's the way it did. It worked. The people of Jericho are freaked out because they hear that, that they're on the same list. I mean, Rahab not only is not in a good place socially or spiritually, she's not even in a good place geographically. Finally, her last challenge was her predicament. I mean, just picture this, right? So because of what Rahab did for a living, she would have worked at night. Well, one night there's a knock at her door. And I'm sure she went to the door expecting to have a customer on the other side of the door. Instead, here's two guys. Hi, we're here on a mission from God. Like, yeah, likely story, right? Yeah, sure. They tell her, if we don't hide in your house, they're going to find us. And if they find us, we're dead. Now, Rahab's got an interesting decision to make, doesn't she? If she takes them in, she could save their life. But if she invites them in and they get found, not only are they going to die, she's going to die too for harboring spies. Suddenly in this moment, she's got to make a decision and she decides to put her life at risk to save theirs. Now, some of us hear this whole talk about Rahab the prostitute and because we're very good people, we like to put her in a different category. Rahab's over there with the very, very dirty sinners. I am just a dirty sinner. So we like to kind of push her off to the side. We like to think that we don't have a lot in common with this young lady from Scripture when the truth is I've spent all week studying it and you know what? I have a lot in common with Rahab. And if you don't think you do, let me just ask you a few questions. Have you ever just felt in your life like you've just run out of options and don't know where to go next? Have you ever felt like everybody that sees you somehow can see into the center of your heart and they know exactly what sins you've been committing? It's like you're wearing your sin like a jacket that everybody can see and you just feel dirty. 
Have you ever just been stuck in a dead-end job in a dead-end place and wondered whether or not God had forgotten about you somewhere along the way? Have you ever just felt alone like nobody understood you or your world? How about this one? Have you ever sold yourself? How about for a promotion or a raise? Have you ever sold your ethics to keep your job? I think Rahab's a lot like everybody. I know she's a lot like me. In the midst of that, all that stuff, we find Rahab's courage. Here's what the Bible goes on and it says. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them. Now, I'm kind of glad they're up on the roof and she's downstairs. Point thumbs up for that, right? Okay. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land to you. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now listen to this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I hear that statement, I'm just like, that's my God working right there. Because just think about it for a second. All of a sudden, the practicing prostitute becomes a prophetic preacher. Only Jesus can pull off that kind of a transformation in a second. Rahab stops. She gives the spies a history lesson. And then she declines, de- declares, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, that's the one true God. In that second, she switches teams. I think that's phenomenal. I mean, this lady doesn't get much. She understands one thing. God is her only hope. Jesus is the only answer. Let me tell you what that means to us today. It means if you're lost, we've only got one answer for you. And the answer is Jesus. If you're up against a wall with no options, we've only got one thing that can solve that predicament. And that is Jesus Christ. If you're covered in sin, devoid of hope, you've only got one answer today. And the answer is Jesus Christ. If you think you're unredeemable, beyond salvage and unforgivable, we've only got one answer for you and the answer is Jesus in all of the challenges that she faces this broken woman figures something out that Jesus saves Jesus forgives Jesus helps Jesus accompanies Jesus forgives and Jesus redeems can somebody say amen please it's unbelievable I mean before Joshua even gets to the promised land God says I'm going to tell you a redemption story Do you know what a redemption story is? I'll tell you what it's not, okay? This is not a redemption story. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's not a redemption story. That's a depressing story. Why do you tell that to your children? That's what I want to know. That is sick and twisted, right? No wonder they're just like, oh, whatever, right? Humpty's not getting fixed. What hope is there for them, right? They don't even have king's horses and king's men. Think about it, all right? That's not a redemption story. You want to hear a redemption story? I'll tell you a redemption story. The Holy Smoke Tavern in Kendall used to be a church. Then it became a bar. Our daughter church in Linden just bought it back and we're going to turn it back into a church again. That's a redemption story. 
going to take a while, but that's a redemption story. There's another redemption story being told. Right across the street from the Birch Bay water slides is a barn. Some of you have seen it there. In the next couple of weeks, they're going to paint the outside of it, and then they're going to hang up a great big sign. And the sign is going to read, North Bay, Christ the King Community Church. It's a redemption story. I mean, I look around this room, and all I see is redemption stories. I get a front row seat to see what God is doing inside of this church. I see people who used to be drug addicts, porn addicts, racists, anger addicts, religion addicts, people who were stuck in dead ends, and they all have one thing in common. Jesus stepped into their life in an incredible moment, forgave their sin, redeemed them, and now they stand on Sunday mornings with their hands raised to heaven and worship the Most High God that did that. And you know what? They're walking, talking redemption stories. And we don't brag about them because of them. We brag about them because of the fact we know the person who wrote the story. And the author is Jesus. You know, one amazing aspect of redemption is that it can happen in the middle of sinful choices. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if the Bible said 30 days prior to the spies showing up, Rahab got her act together and had been practicing abstinence for approximately one month. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says into the middle of her sinful life, the hand of God reaches and pulls her to himself. It's a redemption story. This is the good news of Rahab's story. If you are here today and you are wrapped in sin, and you feel dirty, dirtier than you've ever felt before, the same God that reached in and grabbed Rahab is reaching his hand to you right here, right now. It's the most beautiful part of redemption. She's a redemption story. And through God's gift of courage to Rahab, we get to see what he redeems. That's the next little part of your outline. Let me show you what it is that he redeems. Number one, he redeems her present. Okay? He redeems her present. There's a little typo in your outline. I need you to change something. It says Joshua 5.25. It it should say Joshua 6.25. The Bible tells us what happened. She hides the spies and this is what happened. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. I love this. He saves her life and then he gives her a new life. And with that new life comes a new home and a new people. You know, when I look around and I see the redemption stories of Christ the King, I understand one of the reasons that they're still here is because when God gave them a new life, he also gave them a new family. And we're it. We're their family. We're the ones that get to say, you belong here. It's okay to not be okay at Christ the King. You're welcome here. So he redeems her present. Secondly, he redeems her past and her legacy. I love this one. This one's awesome. So you're in the book of Joshua. You jump halfway into the middle of your Bible. You find a book called Matthew, one of the disciples. Matthew is writing a family tree in the first chapter. The family tree belongs to Jesus, the Messiah. And if you go about five verses into the family tree, all of a sudden in the middle of the family tree, there's a lady. Guess who it is? It's Rahab. Rahab gets saved out of Jericho, marries an Israelite man, and her kids and grandkids become the kings of Israel. And if you keep going down at the end of the family tree, 
guess who she's the great, 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 a whole bunch of great grandma of? Jesus. Only Jesus would think to take the most broken person he could find and actually put her right in the middle of his family heritage. You know what that means to you? It means this. It means when God redeems you, he adopts you as a son or a daughter and he puts you right smack dab in the middle of his family. That's how much he loves you. I love that lesson because it teaches me this. I don't care what your past has been. Your fat future can be Jesus. It can be. Here's the last one. What else does he redeem? He redeems her reputation. You jump from Joshua to Matthew. You jump from Matthew almost to the end of your Bible. You find the book of Hebrews. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, there's this thing called the Hall of Faith. And all of these big biblical heavy hitters are listed off there. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Jacob. You get towards the end of the list. Guess who shows up in the Hall of Faith of all things? Rahab. God commends her as one who had great faith because when she had no options, she chose to get with God's plan and fulfill God's purpose. It's an amazing redemption story, isn't it? It's just awesome. And, you know, I'm looking at her story this past week. I did not plan on preaching this. I wanted to go to Jericho this week. Apparently, we're supposed to wait next week. Come next week. I'll show you a clip from Veggie Tales. It's really cool. You'll laugh. All right. We have a wall, right? It's cool. Um, the parents know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know it's coming. That's perfect. Okay. But I look at her story and I just kind of wonder, why did God put that there? It doesn't mention Joshua hardly at all. It's almost as if Joshua, or God says to this amazing leader, Joshua, I'm just going to put you over here for a second. We're going to take a little time out because I want you to watch me do what I do best. So I believe there's some lessons that God wants us to learn because I believe he taught them to Joshua first. Here's the first lesson. It revolves around people. And I believe God teaches Joshua this simple principle. No human life is beyond salvage and the determination of that belongs to God. If you're here today and you've ever written somebody off, that should speak to you. If God never writes anybody off, why in the world would his children do that? We should be the most hope-filled people. Now, I'm not talking about having to have a relationship with somebody that's hurt you. There may be a very good reason to have some boundaries and distance between you and that person. But, but, please make sure that we understand this. If we say to somebody that you are a lost cause, then what we are really saying to them is this. We believe that God's grace is big enough to cover our pile of sin, but your sin is just a little too big. When we write somebody off, what we're saying is, God, you covered me, but I don't think you're big enough to cover them. May we never be the kind of people who would have God's grace in our life and not extend it. That means this. If you have someone in your life who you believe is a lost cause, you need to keep hoping, keep praying, keep handing them over to Jesus because he's the only one that can do anything about them anyway. Secondly, I believe that he's teaching us a lesson about places. No places out of God's reach. I mean, he reaches right into the middle of a city that's going to be blasted apart. And he reaches into Rahab's brokenness and, and he pulls her to himself. 
I mean, sometimes we have those places in our life that we just don't like having any part of because maybe it was a place where we lost hope. Maybe it was a place where we got disappointed. Maybe it was a place where we got hurt or someone took advantage of us or they abused us or they just inflicted pain. And we look at the place and we just don't want anything to do with the place because of what it represents. God says, not only can I redeem the person, I can redeem the place. I can redeem that place in your memory where you just feel like everything fell apart. I can reclaim that and give it back to you. God is in the business of reclaiming and redeeming everything. Thirdly, I think he, teach a lesson. he teaches a lesson to Joshua about purpose. We need to know this. No one's responsible for the purpose of God in somebody else's life. It wasn't Joshua's job to save Rahab's soul. He was just a part of the process of saving her physical body. Saving her soul was up to Jesus. My friends, you can't make decisions for other people. All you can do is fulfill God's purpose in your life, and then you get to participate in the work that God is doing. Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the redeeming. I catch myself getting this wrong all the time. Because, I mean, last fall we had this moment where we baptized 147 people on one weekend. And I made a terrible mistake the next week because I got up and I said, we baptized 147 people. We did not. We didn't baptize anybody. Jesus saved them. Jesus drew them. Jesus brought them here. Jesus took them into the tank. He brought them back out of the tank. Their story belongs to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the day we decide we're going to hang our little sign up next to Jesus' name is the day when we're going to encounter a scripture head on because God says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is not about us. This is not about the people of Christ the King or the pastors of Christ the King. This is about Jesus, will be about Jesus, is going to be about Jesus. If you're not down with Jesus, this place is going to disappoint you very, very much. I had a week off. I'm a little fired up. All right. Number four, he teaches a message about passion. And he says to Joshua, you need to continue on in being strong and courageous and see where God is redeeming right here and right now. I believe he's saying the same thing to us. This fall, we're going to go claim some land in Ferndale that the enemy thinks mistakenly is his. And we can expect a pushback because we're not stupid. We're going to go and take something. And as we enter into that battle, we need to remember something. That battle doesn't belong to us. It's already been won by him. We're just walking right behind him. Jason laid out a challenge for you as we close this morning. A challenge for Christ the King during this Joshua series because we know something about Joshua. What sustained his life was his love for the Word. If you haven't got any Word in you, it's only a matter of time till you dry up. I always ask people, how much Word do you have in your life? How much are you communicating with God? And when they say none, it's like, is it any wonder why your faith feels so stale? So here's the Joshua challenge. We call them the ten tens. We've been talking about that here for years. And the commitment is this, I'll commit to spending 10 minutes in the Word and 10 minutes in prayer every day. Some people look at that and go, just 10 minutes? It's a good place to start because tragically many of us do less than that. 10 minutes in the Word, 10 minutes in prayer. And then as part of the CTK family, I'll commit to pray for two other families or people at Christ the King. This is a family moment for all of us. So we read the Word because that's when God speaks to us. Then we pray and I'd encourage you to to split your prayer time in half because very often... Prayer for us looks like this. We just flap our gums for the whole time, tell God all the things we need, all the things we want. 
yakety yak, 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 yak. Prayer's supposed to be a conversation. That means half of the time you should be talking and the other half of the time you should be listening. Why do we want the word in us so much? We want it because it's full of redemption stories. Like I said before, um, I kind of read about Rahab and I go, ah, oh boy, she really struggles, man. She's kind of over there with those people. Throughout the week, Rahab has become a closer and closer friend. You see, if you read in Joshua chapter 2, you'll see Rahab's redemption story. If you read in Romans chapter 5, you'll find mine. See, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Scripture says this. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While Grant was still a sinner, Christ died for him. It's my redemption story. If you know Jesus, that's your redemption story. While you were still in the thick of simply being wicked, Jesus died for you. You know, I don't know where you find yourself in the story this morning. Maybe you're a Jericho Hoite. And you feel like you're kind of shut in and trapped and you don't know where to go and you're just scared about what may be coming. My prayer is that you would have the courage to call to Jesus because the same God that reached into Jericho can reach into your life too. Maybe you're a terrified leader like Joshua sitting on the sidelines watching God write redemption stories, freaking out, going, what in the world am I doing here? Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. Maybe you can relate to Rahab. You feel broken and lost. Like the biggest trophy in your life is your sin. Please don't walk out of here without knowing that the same God that reached into Rahab's existence desperately wants to reach into yours. Jesus writes redemption stories. He'd love to write yours. So as we close this morning, I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and have a heart moment with Jesus. He can handle whatever it is that you need to give him. He can answer any prayer that you have. He is trustworthy and true. He was the God of Joshua, and he could be the God of you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, for those who are lost and shut in, may they know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father God, for those who are scared, they believe they've been given a purpose and a call from you, but they're terrified. May they know that when they are weak, he is strong. God, for those who feel lonely and alone, wearing their sin, may they know that the same Jesus who saved Rahab can handle everything that they have to bring with them. God, I pray for each one of us today that we would hear the courageous call that went to Joshua. May we walk into your battle this week knowing that the battle belongs to you and that it's already been won. 
Jesus, thank you for writing a redemption story over and over again at Christ the King Community Church. We have the courage and the boldness to say, would you do more? Would you save more? Would you call out more? Would you redeem more, God? We love you that you are a God of redemption. May we forever be amazed at the name of Jesus, the sweetest name we know. We love you for your amazing grace. May we walk in its strength this week with courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.